0: Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin, this week. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak-and-dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer. And give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now, fueled by an eager anticipation of the State of the Union, (laughs) and specifically how liberals are going to flip out this time, it's Team MacGyver. My name is Britt Hume, otherwise known as (laughs) Matt (laughs) Kittle.
1: And I am Chris Rochester, communications director. Bill Osmolski is not with us this week. He's out pursuing truth and justice. He is, an a, ad- he
0: is a superhero, isn't
1: he? Yeah, I believe so. I, that was he was pretty
0: pretty Mom on the specifics. I have but. told him, though, and I think you all know, that Bill needs to stop wearing the cape and tights. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs>
1: that, that would be a service to all of us here at McIver. And speaking of, as join us as always.
2: Ola Lasowski, Research Associate. I'm fueled by way too much coffee, guys. It's Monday.
0: Yeah, Boy, that as usual makes too. too yes. you know, but it, you, but it's really been an incredible week, which we will get into uh, after I let you do the obligatory uh, mentions, right?
1: Right. Uh, well, um, let me just say that if it's at the gym, at home, or during a boring conference call, or wherever other inappropriate setting, maybe uh, at a at a meeting at work, or even or in wherever, front of your barista, or in front of your barista. <laughs> We hope that you're enjoying the McIver, or McIver Report podcast wherever you like to listen. And if you are, please hit subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and or SoundCloud, or all of them if you really want. And be sure to share with your favorite liberal friends and change their lives forever.
0: Mm-hmm. Or at least make their heads explode.
1: <laughs> Either or. Uh, well, I think it's fair to say that the big story... Uh, of last week, and a busy week it was, was Governor Walker's State of the State speech on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, As we wisely predicted last week, the governor said the State of the State is strong, but we didn't get exactly right. So it's not just strong like regular strong, but it's historically strong. So, Matt, I think if you look at media coverage of the good economic news lately here in Wisconsin, or really the lack of it, it was probably appropriate for the governor to put that exclamation point on
0: it. Yes, the coverage of the good economic news, both nationally and in the state of Wisconsin, has been historically bad. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I don't know if that's saying something or it's just the times that we live in, but you're right. Uh, As we reported at uh, MacGyver News Service, at MacGyver Institute, you'll see the story up and breaks down the key elements of what the governor was getting into. But he spent more time, as you can imagine and can understand, um, looking back just a bit because obviously this is an election year. It's important to note the accomplishments over his two terms in office and why. He wants to make the case for a third. So the State of the Union does that, certainly. But it also takes a look back at just how awful things were when Scott Walker became the governor of the state of Wisconsin in January 2011 and the Republicans took over control of the legislature. We forget that, don't we?
2: Yeah, we absolutely do.
0: We forget how the the fiscal disorder that, that was going on right. in the budget. Mm-hmm. $3.6 billion or thereabouts.
2: Skipping payments to our neighbors, moving money from one fund to the other. Down. Rating, rating yeah. nursing
1: home funds yes. and the transportation right. fund. I mean, we live in this era where uh, it seems like the election of Donald Trump was forever ago because of the over overdrive on the media cycle, let alone seven or eight years ago, how right. bad things were. I mean, I was, a, I was a reporter for the student paper, so I was covering actual budget cuts. And I, even, me, even for, with me, it's easy to forget about how bad things were.
0: And just think about the state of the economy, uh, what was going on in this country and in this state in November of 2010 into January of 2011. You had people just crying for work, just right. hoping that they could get a job out there. You had, you had just horrible unemployment, underemployment. And what Walker tried to drive home, and I think did so successfully in a State of the State address last week, was, hey, we just got a report showing that unemployment is at the lowest rate it has been at in 45 years. Right. It is tied with the lowest mark ever recorded. We have more people working in this state. Incomes are up. We have more opportunity in this state. And that's the pitch that he really wanted to make about what a difference seven years can make. Obviously, that's tied into his reelection campaign, but it's also a reminder, as you said, Chris, at the outset of the podcast, that this story isn't necessarily being told in other circles, he was gonna take that opportunity to tell that story. I got a definite feeling of what Governor Walker was actually in
1: La Crosse, and so was I this weekend, and you got a little bit of a sense of frustration that this story is not being told. The, the, the 3% unemployment rate, the expanded budget surplus, uh, all these different initiatives aimed at uh, reforming the government, welfare reform, he detailed that in his state of the state. Uh, the successes that come from welfare reform, the food share employment training being just one example, and his plan to prop up Obamacare, because it looks like we're gonna be stuck with Obamacare for a while, so Walker's taking steps to, um, to make it affordable and to do something to staunch the death spiral. It just, it doesn't seem like uh, people are that aware of everything that's going on, and all the good reforms that are continuing, and let's not even, you know, tax cuts, the property tax freeze, uh, progress in education, so many different things, and uh, he definitely used the speech as he, you know, appropriately, so right.
0: to talk about those things and try to get try to get that in the media. And he used this speech to pitch some of the things that he would like to see, what he calls an ambitious agenda. Um, or is it the aggressive agenda? The, uh, <laughs> <coughs> it's ambitious and it's, it's aggressive. aggressive and ambitious. A, that said, uh, you know, there are some things that certainly come out during the election year that uh, are important to a, a lot of folks. It's created and engendered some disagreement among conservatives about what uh, we should be doing with surpluses and those sorts of things. The governor and Ola uh, just wanted to get you, your response to, you know, what... Some of the proposals were, but the the, the tax credit, the child credit, certainly uh, was a big one. Using a portion of that $480 million surplus, Mm -hmm. better than expected revenue, to give uh, families a little tax relief. How did that go over?
2: You know, so this was actually an interesting one because leading up to the state of the state, uh, Walker and his team kind of timed everything out you know they, they were unrolling first they unrolled welfare reform and those plans a couple days later they unrolled their their plan to prop up Obamacare and that health care plan and so by the time we got to the day of the state of the state it was kinda like okay I, th- I think we've, we know everything he's gonna talk about right and then boom a couple hours before the yeah. speech uh, story drops uh, announcing that he would unveil a new plan, a new child care tax credit. So that'll be $100 for every um, child, it'd be $100 towards every family with a child under 18 living in their home, uh, adding up to, I believe, $122 million. So pretty interesting one there. I mean, from where I sit, I saw pretty mixed reviews. To be honest with you, you have a lot of conservatives saying, hey, you know, what the heck, I thought we were gonna put this on broad-based tax reforms. Uh, You had a lot of other conservatives, more moderate conservatives, uh, thinking back to the uh, marco rubio like proposals they're okay with that they would you know rather take that money and specifically help support our families um, our middle-class families in particular so i I think it's interesting you know there, there was a lot of conversations on uh, you know right of center radio as to whether if democrats had proposed something like this would it have been slammed or not um, you know, for me, obviously, you guys know where I come from in the in the flat tax debate. I uh, am tired of calling out and, and uh, adding to the list of, of credits and exemptions. I'd rather just continue getting rid of them. But you know, obviously, there's there's a lot of different ways you can do something like this. So. Is it smart and in an election year? I think so, probably. And in, the, in the, um, the big
1: picture, you are taking that money and you're not spending it on some other program. Sure. You're giving it back. Giving it
2: back. Ultimately, so yeah. And ultimately, that's, that. that's the big difference, right, is that under a Walker plan, the goal is always to get that money back in the hands of the people of Wisconsin because he truly believes it's theirs to begin with.
0: Well if I can do some shameless promotion, and I will <laughs> you uh, never miss an opportunity. No, never miss an opportunity for shameless promotion. Well we we'll have the MacGyver News Minute, we'll do one of those coming up in the podcast later on. But in upcoming MacGyver News Minute this week, tune in to News Talk 1130 WISN, and we will talk about exactly what, you're, what you, we just said, what, what I think you and Chris just drove home, is that the Governor said during his State of the State address, as he has said multiple times, my pledge to you is if we have a surplus, if there are better economic times. Better than expected revenue. That money is going to go back to the taxpayer at every turn. We're going to give that money to the people who gave that to the government to Mm -hmm. begin with and never Mm -hmm. get away from that idea. So there there can be a a good and healthy debate, I think, among uh, conservative minds about how to best employ Sure the uh, the surplus and whether one tax break or another is better or significant systemic reform within the system as we right. talked about, the Ways and Means Committee talking about. But you cannot uh, ignore the fact that since Walker took office, he has made it a pledge and a pledge that he has honored at every turn. Right to give back money to taxpayers right. think about how different that
2: absolutely that, that is. context is so so crucial I mean what's our running tally at through the end of next year it's 8.71 billion dollars yeah. in tax cuts since 2011 I mean it's astounding stuff It really really is. that's it
0: really meaningful really really from property tax to income tax to this uh, the credit situation Again, whether you are in support of this particular idea, you cannot uh, get around the fact that this is a governor who has stood by the pledge to return that, as he's called it, reform dividend right. back right. to the taxpayers. It, it's,
1: right. a, it's a 180 in the way of, of thinking, in the way of approaching uh, govern, governing by, by Governor Walker, as we yeah. mentioned Absolutely. Earlier. and um, a big part is- of
2: the state of the state too will be that welfare reform package which we will talk about uh, in a little bit this hour. Uh, so excited to get to that. Those will start moving this week through the uh, through the state house here across the street. But uh, if we can just go ahead and we can start. Looking forward to the week ahead.
1: That's right. Uh, the week ahead. I just speaking of changing and governing philosophies. <laughs> we're, uh, we're 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 looking forward to the State of the Union speech, which, from our point point of view, our place in time is tomorrow night. So I think we're all looking forward to that, and we'll have some coverage on the McIver website once that happens. But I, anyway, I mentioned it was a busy week at the Capitol, uh, so. On last week's podcast, we talked about an upcoming Senate vote on Brian Bell and Michael Haas to confirm or to not confirm. Uh, a week ago, they were still interim administrators of the Ethics and Elections Commissions, respectively. I mean, wow, that seems like months ago. So let's go through the week and bring people up to date on the latest in the
0: John Doe saga. It was a wild week. They say that wars and presidencies ages people, you know, um unnaturally. That's how I felt. I felt <laughs> like I stepped into last week uh, a, a guy in his in his middle mid-range <laughs> middle-aged and I, I got out of the week as a uh, you know just a broken old man. So you started out the week on old man
1: Peabody's tree farm and woke up at Twin Pines Mall. I that's did. It's a, a back to the future reference. Yes indeed. Absolutely and thank
0: you for that uh, Marty. Uh, but that Monday comes around. We knew we were going to have a pretty busy week with the uh, session. We knew that uh, Senate was going to meet on Tuesday. and we knew that there probably wasn't going to be a big surprise. We knew going in, uh, what we were hearing from our sources was that uh, every Republican in the state Senate had lost whatever faith they had in anybody connected with the old government accountability. The GAB, of course, disbanded in 2016 because of its role, uh, partnership role that it played along with Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm, a highly partisan Democrat, in the very politically motivated John Doe. Um, And for those who haven't tuned into this podcast (laughs) or haven't tuned into some of the big stories over the last several weeks and over the last, quite frankly, four-plus years, Uh, Just a little refresher course, the John Doe was uh, an investigation, a secret investigation that was run by these entities basically against their political enemies. Just about every right of center group in this state and the campaign of Governor Scott Walker the notion was that there was somehow campaign finance abuses going on with those groups. Uh, so it that started campaigns. out as a,
1: it started out as a sort of a criminal investigation.
0: Then once it, that got that legal theory got shot down, it transformed into a domestic spying operation. It certainly did a domestic spying operation that included pre-dawn uh, armed raids on the homes of innocent citizens, uh, children uh, awakened by armed law enforcement officials who were given broad warrants to go in and root through the possessions of people who were never charged with a crime. As a matter of fact, in 2015, the state Supreme Court ruled that not only was this investigation unconstitutional, ordered it shut down, but the lead opinion in that uh, case said that this was a perfect storm of wrongs committed against innocent people. So now here we are in the shadow of John Doe after a very... A bombshell report by the State Attorney General in December that showed this was even more partisan, politically motivated and abusive than we thought. And so the Republicans who control the Senate don't have a lot of faith or didn't have a lot of faith going into the Interim Administrator of the Elections Commission, Michael Haas, who was very much involved in the John Doe investigation through the GAB. Uh, despite his protestations and the defenses of his many apologists out there from the Elections Commission and government bureaucrats and, quite frankly, Democrats. And Brian Bell, who was not involved in the John Doe investigation, that's pretty clear, but he was at the GAB at the time. So the big allegation against him is he, he didn't
1: act as a whistleblower. He didn't say anything when he saw this stuff going on. He just left the agency.
0: Indeed, and there are questions that still remain that haven't fully been answered about why he didn't take the information that, uh, that he knew and others knew, uh, the John Doe documents, millions of documents that remained at the old GAB, the Ethics Office, why he didn't bring that to the attention of the Supreme Court or others. But we get to the battle where we have um, Democrats last week in the state Senate ironically calling um, this move a vote by the the state Senate on whether to confirm the two administrators at the Elections and Ethics Commission. They're calling this a witch hunt. <laughs> the which, irony of all of there was so much irony last week. Yes. It, it it could uh, you know it it could choke a an 18th century realist. <laughs> but. <laughs> We had all of this stuff going on, um, all of these complaints by the left that this is a witch hunt. And, of course, we're hearing testimony from Senator Leah Vukmir, who has had her emails stolen from her in this illegal uh, investigation when we have her very private emails between uh, Leah Vukmir and her daughter taken. It's just one of myriad examples of the real witch hunt that went on. She had some really compelling words to say. She certainly did. And she, I think, um, if there was any convincing to do, she brought it home along with Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald.
1: Did it come as a surprise that the
0: Senate rejected both Bell and Haas? No, not at all. I mean, the surprise was, it wasn't really a surprise. Uh, that it went on as long as it did. And I think the the Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald allowed the the Democrats to say as much as they thought they wanted to say about how unfair this was, that they weren't getting a public hearing, these two administrators. Well, uh, listen, (laughs) we can talk about, again, the irony is rich. You can talk about how the uh, targets of this investigation didn't have the ability to even contact attorneys while their homes were being raided. So, um, you know, on the, on the pendulum of justice, you'll excuse conservatives for saying, too bad. <laughs> okay, so we have the vote that so takes place the, on Tuesday. The one that
1: some people thought foolishly was gonna bring this thing to
0: a, yes. a conclusion, no. but it turns out not so much. There is a long way to go in writing the dark history, uh, the dark present tense that is the John Doe investigation. On Wednesday, we kind of had a feeling this might be coming because the Elections Commission, which is chaired by a Democrat and a, a very combative Democrat at that, has said that they would defy, basically, or they wouldn't acknowledge that the Senate has the full force and authority, which it does under the Constitution of the state, to confirm or reject uh, administrators for both independent agencies like the Ethics and Elections Commissions or um, the the agencies under the, the executive. So we have this standoff now that's going on which could ultimately mean this is settled at the court level. What we found out from Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald last week is while the commission Believes that Michael Haas is still their administrator, at least until the end of April. The Senate does not believe that, and the state does not believe that. And so Michael Haas has been dropped from his administrator role in the eyes of the state government. Well, they've cut off his payroll and everything, right? No, they have reduced his payroll. He made $124,000. So they moved him into the role of of a council of a staff council legal staff council yeah. that's right well, but, so if but he is but in in at the commission he's still doing the work of the administrator so you have this conflict that's going on yes he 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 his pay was dropped by about $30,000 he lost his authority under the eyes of the state but the commission still recognizes him so we have the senate saying the republican controlled senate saying uh, they have 45 days to get this guy out of there and to name a new uh, administrator or we will name an administrator but in the meantime you have the conflict of the two bodies of government the duly elected Senate you know elected by the citizens the voters of this state and the unelected bureaucrats who are trying to uh, write their own rules. I just think it's ironic that, I mean, I have talked to various people who've said they've never
1: seen anything like this happen before. Never? And, and and so the the GAB... Fred uh, Rissler said he's never seen anything <laughs> like
0: this happen. <laughs> no, that, is, that, say, that guy's been around since Grant was in office. That was, so
1: that's a remarkable <laughs> statement. But, uh, so, I mean, here you have the old GAB bureaucrats fighting this claim that they were like a rogue agency or that they were operating outside what they were supposed to be doing. And at the same time, then they're actually going rogue and hiring this guy that the Senate... Uh, said no, 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 no. But you know, just to kind of a, with uh,
0: irony, this is remember, this is. is the agency. You can't make this up. Yeah, this was this was the, the successor of the agency that was was described as a rogue agency that did this stuff you know on its own without any oversight they were involved in these abusive investigations and now you've got this new rogue agency doing basically the same thing going against the will of the people
1: before we wrap up this topic I just like to back up a little bit this is such a complicated kinda of series of events it's it's, it's, a, it's a novel waiting to be written nudge nudge wink wink Yeah, someone else um, please <laughs> but, So what happened last week was that the Ethics Commission, after the Senate rejected Bell and Haas, the the Elections Commission held a meeting at the same time, coincidentally, no, I think not, (laughs) as the Governor's State of the State speech, at which they rehired, in a different position, but rehired Michael Haas. And then after that, the day later, uh, the Ethics Commission met, and they decided to go a different direction uh, with Brian Bell. They didn't rehire Bell. Uh, Bell's actually back at his old job at uh, DISPUS. Um, But they saw
0: the writing on the wall. And there's something very interesting that I forgot to say about the election side of things. You know, the vote was 4-2. There are three Democrats and three Republicans on this commission, on the Elections Commission as the Ethics Commission. Uh, One Republican did vote with the Democrats. But the two Republicans who have supported Haas as their administrator in the past, after the Senate voted, the two the two Republicans said no this is the will of the Senate we don't have the authority anymore one of those Republicans is Dean Knudsen this is very important Dean Knudsen former state rep former state representative from Hudson Wisconsin he was the author of the legislation that disbanded the GAB and created the elections and ethics commission and he implored them he kept saying I implore you people not to do this this he, Michael Haas will always have a cloud over him this agency will always have a cloud over it because you've taken this motion.
1: And he warned against either creating chaos and then I think we should mention this real quick uh, David Helbrooks at the ethics meeting on Thursday uh, they voted not to fill the position of, of interim administrator for a certain period of time but the real interesting comments in my book well, there was two by him uh, he said that for one he asked the media to stop saying six convictions came out of John Doe. John Doe won. John Doe won. He said and he went through point by point six convictions and then the most interesting thing that he had to say because this is a Democrat saying it. Uh uh, He said that you know he had the the comments that John Chisholm Mm -hmm. should be impeached or lose his job. Mm -hmm. So very interesting uh, kind of Very interesting individual, for one, because he also said Scott Fitzgerald's leading, uh, he's gonna go down in the annals of uh, Joe McCarthy for what he's up to here, and that Brian Bell is uh, collateral damage, in a way. But he also had these things to say about John Chisholm, which I found remarkable. Holbrooks
0: hit everybody, and just briefly to wrap that up, David Holbrooks, the Democrat appointed by Democrats uh, to the Ethics Commission, is the chairman and for him to say to that commission meeting, to his fellow commissioners and to media statewide, listen, you've got it wrong. The John Doe investigations were abusive. They were wrong. They were unconstitutional. However you want to slice it, there was nothing right about them. And the guy who is ultimately responsible for them, according to Mr. Holbrooks, is John Chisholm, the Democrat who launched John Doe 1, which really looked into the Milwaukee County Executive's office when Scott Walker was county executive and running for uh, governor in 2010, and it was wrong. And Chisholm ended up launching the John Doe II, which was a broader statewide investigation into just about every conservative group out there. What this Democrat is saying, and what he wants to drive home, is that if you really want justice, if you really want to look at the root of the problem, John Chisholm is that. Well, the, uh, certainly, and he's
2: still in the sa- still in the very same office and position he was when this entire thing started. Untouched,
0: right? you know. How many times, Ola, have you heard? Have we heard? So, what happened to these folks? They they lost their lives. They lost their, they lost their okay. jobs, right? Some right. were in jail, right? No. Uh, so again, the story of John Doe in Wisconsin continues to be read.
1: And we will continue to update it uh, on the future uh, on future podcasts and on our website. Uh, so switching gears, Matt Kill and I risked life and limb last week. It was really <laughs> really some nasty driving. I think we saw six or seven cars in the ditch on the
0: yes, way. Yes, it was nasty oh. between Milwaukee and Madison. It was bad, and it wasn't, but it wasn't anywhere near as nasty as it got when <laughs> <It literally laughs> we actually the got event. there. So we we went to
1: Milwaukee. The uh, Federalist Society, the Milwaukee Lawyers Chapter of the Federalist Society, hosted all three candidates for Wisconsin. Supreme Court. Liberals Rebecca Dallet and Tim Burns and conservative Michael Skrenik and uh, it was very enlightening uh, the the two liberals spent most of their time well after Tim Burns opened by attacking the Federalist Society and most of the members of the audience <laughs> telling them that they're complicit in all that's wrong with America uh, they went at each other attacking each other personally attacking each other trying to vie for who has the most uh, Activist liberal street cred, and who would be the most activist judge?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and there was Michael Skreinik, kind of sitting there serenely, uh, talking about his judicial philosophy, and
0: kind of watching the fireworks fly. It reminds me of the Larry David line: Tim Burns, you know, going before this liberal Madison attorney, going before the uh, the Federalist Society in Milwaukee, and all of the conservative orthodoxy-based you know, constitutionalist in that room. And, of course, he, he can't stand anything about that or their points of view. And so it's like Larry David, uh, who, uh, you know, once said before an audience, you know, uh, you guys are a bunch of morons. I can't stand you. That being said, I'm glad to be here.
1: <laughs> Maybe like a Don Rickles routine. A too, little
0: bit. I was only missing the hockey puck. But you're right. I mean, that's that started the tone of what became a, a very heated discussion, but not about conservatives necessarily. I would say 75% of the time you had Burns and Dalit going back and forth, attacking each other. Dalit attacking Burns for, you know, how did she describe it? Sleazy politicking and, you know, spinning the facts and cherry picking information and Burns saying that That uh, Dalit doesn't, you know, she refuses to take a true position because she wants to appeal to the left and she wants to appeal to the moderates and wants to appeal to everybody. It was just... And her attacking him for not being a judge and him attacking her for not being progressive enough. Exactly. And so they were really questioning each other's credentials. And... uh, Sauk County Circuit Court Judge Michael Screnick, I have never seen a candidate in a debate, Supreme Court or otherwise, look more placid. <laughs> <laughs> look more at ease. Well, he was in a room of, of, of fellow originalists. Of course. I mean, it, it helps to be, you know, in, in your hometown. That said, you know, this is a debate where the two liberal candidates, and make no mistake about it, Dalit is trying to play the moderate here. But 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 she's a very liberal candidate. Oh yes. Her interpretation. I mean, when they asked her, who who are your your favorite uh, Supreme U.S. Supreme Court justices, and she said Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That was the first one. I mean, that gives you an indication of of her, her, where she is in terms of judicial review, right? And, and when. And- and, and uh, Burns said uh, "Thoroughgood Marshall, and then yeah. turned all of that into where now she's making, uh, he, Burns, Tim Burns, the attorney, is making claims of racism against Dalit. I mean, it got really intense for a while. And so basically at the end of the day, I think Skrenik had the opportunity to really explain, now he's a Scalia guy, that didn't get much back and forth. He just explained why it was important to him not to be an activist. You know to uh, address the law in a, you know and, and do so under the rule of law, and not to make law. I mean he he was able mm-hmm. to make those points regardless consistently.
1: regardless of your personal belief. I, mean, I heard uh, Skrenick at a at another event. I don't know if he mentioned this story at the at the forum, uh, which you can see in its entirety at McIverInstitute But he, he mentioned the, the case of, of Patrick Crooks. The former Supreme Court Justice who um, who voted not to strike down Act 10, he doesn't like it. He wrote a he wrote an opinion um, explaining why he thinks it's bad policy, but he didn't think the legislature had he didn't think that the Supreme Court had the right to overturn the legislature when it's acting uh, according to you know within the bounds of the Constitution. That's
0: That's exactly right, and that's his point of view. His point of view is clearly, and he had the opportunity to clearly state it that we need to as federalists we need to respect the different branches of government when the legislature is wrong the court needs to act but the legislature was elected by the people to be able to make laws and just because a law is not necessarily uh, you know embraced by certain members of the, uh, the state Elections have consequences. Is the ultimate argument. It was a fascinating. For for anybody who thought, I'll just leave you with this. For anybody who thought that you know, Supreme Court debates or forums in this state are just stodgy, stolid affairs. That not at all. This particular forum put that notion on its head.
1: And and Burns, I I love the quote. He loves suing and. Insurance companies. I thought that was, <laughs> st-
0: stood out to me. Ready to go. There you go. Uh, so,
1: yes, very interesting. Again, you can watch the video on our website or YouTube page or uh, on our Facebook. Um, and so, speaking of judges and other legal stuff, uh <laughs> MacIver investigation uh, posted to our website, MacIverinstitute.com, sheds light on a very troubling situation in Ozaki County. The county court system there is just overcome with some really draw jo- draw-jopping draw-jopping. draw dropping dysfunction.
2: Draw dropping.
1: Draw. Too much how, coffee. That's too- how draw dropping it is. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gone with uh, breathtaking. Um, but uh, so Kittle, you uh, you had a busy week because this was your report, and you fit that in among all the other things that we we covered last week. So. Take us on a high level tour what you found. I mean, you can read the whole story on our website, but just tell us the, the basics of what you found in this investigation. Yeah,
0: this is a MacGyver News investigation, and we got a copy of the Attorney General's report. The Attorney General was called in to investigate Ozaki County, particularly some of the issues and the allegations involving the law being broken. That was the allegation that we have the clerk of court in Ozaki County and staff members in the administrative side, these bureaucrats who are changing uh, court uh, documents without alerting anybody to these changes. And that included everything from changing dates, the allegation of backdating, all the way to uh, extending court dates on estate cases. And that was, a, that was a, the
1: case where the clerk of courts, and among various different situations, various different examples, was doing things that only the judges are supposed to be able to do. It sounds like she's friends with some lawyers and maybe uh, decided to unilaterally change some dates so that a probate case went out, lasted longer, or something like that. That was, the,
0: that was the allegation. Really, this is a this is a battle between the judge who was elected in, in 2013, Judge uh, Joe Voiland, and the clerk of courts also elected, um, uh, Mary Lou Miller. What this whole thing really exposed was that there were laws broken at some level, but more than anything, this is a court that is so dysfunctional. Breathtaking is a great word for it. It's hard to believe. I mean, I went through hundreds of pages of documents and uh, scores more of emails and communications. And you have just snide and, uh, you know, just broken, again, dysfunctional relationships going on between administrators and the court. You have the judges battling back and forth. But above all, you have bureaucrats doing what judges are supposed to do. And we have, in this report, you'll, you'll see the whole thing. The state of Wisconsin, the online service, what is commonly referred to as CCAP, their agents went in and they, they did see and verified that there were dates changed. Now, the, the Attorney General's office completed a 300 plus page report, and at the very end said they weren't going to file charges. Or that might be something that frustrates some people. Very much so. It definitely frustrated the guy who was making the allegations, and by the way, I think to a degree, the, because he's included in this report too, Randy Koshnick, who we know now is you know, the, the, you know, the, the state court administrator, but he was the chief judge in this district at that time. This is the guy who had to serve as referee for this dysfunction during this whole process. But in this report, Koshnick clearly states that he believes something is wrong here. You know, some, that, that Voiland is correct about a number of things. Whether there was true intent, that might be the difficult thing because the charge ultimately is misconduct in office. And you have to have real intent, verifiable intent. Again, read the, the full investigation at com. It looks like laws were broken, but what is truly clear and what has truly been exposed is, is the dysfunction of the Ozaki County Circuit
1: Court. Well, you know, just when, you know, the... You just want a little faith in government creeps back in. You get a story that comes (laughs) out like this that completely shatters that, and rightfully so. Um, Yeah, very upsetting, uh, unsettling news in a legal system that has such an impact on people's future and their freedom every day. So hopefully they can get that cleared up. Um, But, liberals were claiming a month ago, none of us would even have a future to look forward to anyway. How's that for a transition? Because tax cuts were going to spell the end of the world. Uh, Ola is here, she's covered in ash and radioactive fallout, but she's here to update us on the tax cut apocalypse. Ola, what lives did tax cuts ruin this week?
2: Thank you Chris. Uh, Now as you said, tax cut Armageddon kept on rolling this week and the charred ruins of the law continue to spread across the country. I'm happy to report coffee tastes the same when it's <laughs> radioactive.
0: <laughs> good news
2: for me. Um, anyway, last week, uh, several more large companies announced good news for their employees. Uh, so let's take a moment to uh, to talk about them. Now, early in the week, Disney announced that it would give about 125000 employees, bonuses of $1,000. The company will also spend $50 million to help their hourly employees with tuition costs, nice. and said it'll also uh, continue investing in that particular fund as much as $25 million annually going forward. On the very same day, <laughs> in an announcement that, like I've mentioned in the past, any one of these standing alone in a normal situation would just dominate the news cycles right. for so long. But because there's so many of them, you know, blinking you miss it, right? So that very same day, Verizon announced a plan to give back to employees. Uh they will be getting stocks worth about $2600. Not bad. Not bad at all. Chase, America's largest bank, also announced it will give 22,000 employees a raise. I uh, will also note that the average raise in the company for those employees will be about 10%. So really a significant overnight raise.
1: And that's not just one time. If you're given a raise, this is boosting people's income and letting them, you know, maybe they're on the margin, maybe this lets them oh, afford absolutely. a house.
2: Absolutely, and speaking of people who are on the margin, they'll also be hiring 4,000 new employees People who, you know, maybe don't have a job right now or are working somewhere else uh, will uh, will see that incredible benefit of, of getting a new job with Chase Bank. They will also be opening about 400 new branches across the country. Mm. Uh, next piece of news, Home Depot. Uh, Another big company will give bonuses of up to $1,000 for its employees. Those bonuses will start at $200 for employees who have been with the company for under two years, and they'll increase in dollar amount the longer an employee has been with Home Depot. Uh, One of the last ones, got a shout out to the hometown roots right here in Madison, Wisconsin. American Family Insurance announced towards the end of the week that it would give 11,000 workers bonuses of $1,000 it also expanded uh, it also is going to expand employee benefits programs including both health care benefits for different kinds of workers as well as expanded tuition reimbursement and scholarship reimbursement that they provide for their uh, for their employees over there and it'll also contribute 10 million dollars to its nonprofit organization uh, the dreams foundation
0: so crumb Crumbs. As Nancy Pelosi. Sure. All of this would be crumbs. Crumbs. <laughs> according to the Democrats. Oh, right. Let them eat I Well, I am curious about this. Two things. As you've gone through the different companies and, and you've been really, you know, uh, analyzing this stuff over the last several weeks, and we've talked about the Armageddon that is a tax cut according to the left. and foremost, are we seeing at every turn these companies saying, you know, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have the financial power to do that. And the financial power yes. is we've gone from 35%, one of the highest corporate rates in the world, to 21%. Yes. Are, are they saying, even the, even the left-leaning companies like Disney, ABC, that sort of thing.
2: Apple. Apple. Yeah. yeah, oh, Apple. absolutely. I, I've got to say in almost every single announcement, of, of these organizations. They say now, thanks to the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, this is something that we're able to do. Now, actually, one other announcement that explicitly talked about this, uh, this move from the federal government, an announcement that dropped this morning actually ExxonMobil has announced that it would invest $50 billion wow. with a B over the next five years to expand in the United States. That'll go towards expanding operations around the country, and while the company hasn't released very many specifics, it did say that that would create thousands of jobs. And you know, they did this kind of an interesting way, they did this on kind of an informal blog post of theirs, a message from the head of the company, but exactly like you're saying, the entire focus of that whole post is, this is what we are able to do because of this bill specifically.
0: So second question, how do the big government types, the anti-tax cut crowd, how do they justify this? Still, every week you keep coming back with more and more companies doing what you just, and the list is longer and longer, more impressive, more impressive. How do they continue to keep up this nonsense that they're pushing out?
2: you know that's that's a great question and we we have seen just last week you know you would think it's it's been a couple weeks already perhaps maybe the Democrats would kind of learn and figure out some of their messaging on this no they are doubling down and they're continuing on this last week Nancy Pelosi and Debbie Wasserman Schultz were at an event where uh, Pelosi of course spent her time uh, twisting it around and, and justifying it saying that those fat cats over there are holding on to their holding on to all their cheese while the rest of us get crumbs amazing crumbs Debbie Wasserman Schultz of course saying quote I'm not sure that a thousand dollars goes very far for almost anyone
1: what was really funny about that was <laughs> I, I I know she said especially after you pay taxes on it but which side is the one? I mean, they're, they're arguing against tax cuts while complaining about the bite taxes right. take out of a bonus. When, when
0: you are a member of Congress making $174,000 a year and yep. everything in your life is paid for, mm-hmm. $1,000 may not mean a lot. But if you are a hard working man or woman in this country trying to support yourself and your family, trying to send your kids to college, that is meaningful. And that, the Washington Post had an interesting piece over the weekend. The Washington Post even called out the Democrats, saying that that their message is totally untenable. And I guess Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the only thing that she can hold on to at this point is the potential. For momentum.
1: Well, remember the
2: potential for momentum. Uh, yeah,
1: uh, pretty sad. Pretty sad. Uh, yeah. I mean, Pelosi is obviously rich. From a rich family. She's worth
2: so. more than thirty million dollars. Yeah. So I mean, telling us about crumbs. Yeah. Exactly, and, and yeah. Good for her. I mean, do you
1: think she has a problem totally with saving money? You know, emergency. <laughs> you know, an emergency
0: fund.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly. So so relating to that news that came out today. Uh, 39% of Americans, only 39% of Americans, would be able to cover an unexpected $1,000 bill without uh, taking it out of savings or going into debt to, to cover it. Now to these ladies, that may not seem like a lot of money, it's crumbs, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. it doesn't go very far. But from where I sit, certainly from where you guys sit, from where millions of Americans sit, this tax cut law has brought good news followed by good news followed by good news. And that there is the tax cut scoop for the week.
1: All right, and uh, so this is, I mean, the good news just keeps on coming, so we'll look forward to another update next week. Uh, Closer to home, though, it's been a very busy week at the state capitol. Some good legislation, some not so good. (laughs) Uh, Ola, what have you been tracking uh, this week?
2: Yeah, so as we've talked about, and I think I spent a little bit of time talking on uh, last week's podcast, uh, Thursday in particular was a long day in the Assembly Committee on Education, which heard several bills. Uh, The first bill is uh, particularly important, I think, to the administration and to leadership in the state houses. Big announcement there from Walker saying that he would sign it. And I think he actually, he urged legislators to pass this bill specifically at his State of the State last week. Uh, This bill would address two different things, sparsity aid and the low revenue ceiling. So what that means, it would increase reimbursement rates for sparsity aid funding from $300 per pupil to $400 per pupil. Those are for the rural school districts that uh, don't have very many students attending their schools and they're spread out over a large period of land. So obviously transportation, stuff like that, it just costs more to, to run and to operate uh, those in, in those situations. So it, the bill would address that. It would also increase the low revenue adjustment, letting certain school districts levy more in local property taxes. It, very importantly, includes a provision stopping any district from raising that ceiling if voters have rejected an operational referendum within the past three years. Now, if every eligible school district raises its low revenue ceiling under this bill, statewide property taxes would go up by $21.8 million. Now, this is a fascinating topic because of the spotlight that has been put on it. Uh, you may remember a similar plan was proposed by Assembly Republicans last year during the budget process. The governor immediately raised concerns, as he had all year long, and quite frankly always has, that it would jeopardize his pledge to hold the line on property taxes. Probably about a month later, Senate Republicans put forward their own plan, increasing both sparse aid and addressing the low revenue ceiling, albeit not as much as the original plan. Now. As it turns out, that was all much ado about nothing because Governor Walker then vetoed all of those provisions uh, in the final step of the budget process, citing property tax increases. However, now now we're back, you know, and and so this was, I sat there all day long listening to these arguments and it it was fascinating because you have Representative John Neitgren, Republican of Marinette, he's also the chair of the Joint Finance Committee on the Assembly side. This is a proposal that he championed for months, and he talked on the stand answering questions of Democrats saying, you know, quite frankly, I was very angry when the governor vetoed this. I was angry. And it was a learning experience. And I had to think to myself, you know, do you just get angry, you flip the table over and you walk away? Or do you compromise? Do you figure out where you can agree and figure out how to get there? So it seems
1: like this, uh, this referendum measure this. Yes. Th- th- that seems to be a stop, some kind exactly. of a yeah, measure to, to a sewage exactly. conservative.
2: Exactly. So you had a, to a sewage conservatives, but at the same time, you know, you had uh, people from both side of the aisle asking the representative whether he would be willing to amend the bill to get rid of that referendum provision altogether. Uh, or to maybe lower it to two years or maybe to one year, which would let more school districts increase that low revenue ceiling immediately. And he pretty much was flabbergasted, just like, guys, I would if I could. <laughs> Trust me, I propose the exact same thing. But having spoken to the governor about what will pass his desk signed with his pen, this is what we came up with. You know, this is the compromise. So very, very interesting um, you know, you you had a lot of Democrats asking why they didn't do this in the budget. And he's just kind of looking at them like, where were you last summer? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and where they, and where they were know, you? They know this. Yes. They, they were there. Oh, sure. They know this. And there was a battle that went on. There was a battle um, that went on with people who are traditionally fiscal conservatives against fiscal conservatives, right. fiscal hawks. Right. And, you know, John Nygren is is proposing – Um, some legislation that he thinks is extremely important for rural areas as you mentioned um, you know these are places that have huge geography issues Mm -hmm. they're small schools Mm -hmm. and they they don't have the resources but the fiscal hawks are asking okay um, but do we make the rest of the state pay for that do we make taxpayers in those districts pay for that when they've already said hey we don't, don't, spend we don't have we don't want the money, you to. Exactly. we don't want you to spend it this way. Exactly. So, very interesting.
2: Yeah, fascinating stuff really. Uh, the second bill uh, that I'm gonna spend a little bit of time talking about would create educational savings accounts for gifted and talented children it re- it's a first-of-its-kind bill. There's no other legislation or program like this anywhere else in the country, so pretty interesting stuff. We, students, We see a
1: lot of that in this state.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, innovation. I, I like it. I'm into it. Uh, students would be able to uh, apply to receive scholarships worth $1,000 that they could spend on any authorized educational expenses. Uh, there would be, under this bill, there would be funding for 2,000 scholarships available, and kids could use them at any school they go to. That means public, private. (laughs) And
1: then thus the people who might be close to that. Uh Yes, including (laughs) students
2: who attend private schools using the school choice voucher programs.
1: So what did the testimony look like? I mean, I was was watching as you were covering it, and it Mm -hmm. seemed like a lot of positive testimony they brought kids in to talk yeah. to this and help them
2: yeah it was it was really interesting stuff the vast majority of the people who testified at last week's week's hearing were in support of the bill um obviously the authors some of the other co-sponsors representative jason fields of milwaukee had some very fascinating testimony uh about some young kids who he had the opportunity to foster a few years back and talked about those kind of diamonds in the rough that that we got to work on and talking about, you know, had his family at the time had more money to invest in those kids and in their art schools and their math skills, you know, how much more it could have helped them in that moment. So really, really interesting stuff, Uh, very widely positive until one gentleman uh, speaking on behalf of the Wisconsin Association of School Boards testified against the bill saying that public schools would not benefit from the program, though it is possible that some public school students would. Uh-huh. So, hmm. you see some of that attitude, that it is not really, <laughs> if it's not for the system as a whole, it's not seen as valid, it's seen as lesser somehow, which is really important. unfortunate. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> we have to remember at a certain point, Education should fund students, right. okay? Students and their educations. Of course, we've got to keep the lights on and the buildings warm, but a lot of times in these conversations, we fund systems, not students, and that is a mistake.
1: It seems like the the interests of the school district being apparently detached from the interests of the students sure. is just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems something's something's not right there i found that to be very very inter- a very interesting example of some of the problems we have with public education.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, and speaking of funding systems and programs, I believe there was a bill dealing with a brand new government program mm, last yes. week. Yes, Let's yes. hear about that, Chris. Well,
1: uh, you covered a very couple, some very good bills, and um, I covered uh, a bill that wasn't so good. This is a bill that went through the Assembly on a voice vote with no debate that would revive a New Deal-era Uh, make work program called the Wisconsin Conservation Corps. It authorizes the Department of Administration to spend $400,000 in the first year on establishing this. Now the the author claims and, and wants us all to be encouraged by the fact that this will be funded by grants through AmeriCorps. Uh, and it'll be... Who is be, the author? FDR? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Representative Mursaw. Okay. Uh, FDR did not make a, a, a you know, they didn't exhume for this, but uh, you know, we put out a statement, a joint statement, uh, the McIver Institute did with Americans for Prosperity last week, uh, where we just, we we warned that when you create a government program, it has the potential to expose taxpayers to costs down the road. And Actually, Speaker Voss did say that the intention in the next budget will be to grow this program. And this is just kind of a, kind of some seed money to get it started. Uh, you know, Eric Bott of AFP in the statement said, with unemployment so low, why do we need a government make work program that's being exhumed from the era of the New Deal that of all people who canceled it was Governor Doyle in 2003. So, you know, we raised concerns and we said, you know, even after you cancel a program, you, it still doesn't mean it's dead. You know, even when you kill a government program, that doesn't mean it's dead. They're like zombie programs that can come back later. And, and really, the, the question you gotta ask is, is this needed? Not, is it a good idea? Does it sound good? Is it needed? And I don't think this program's needed, especially with unemployment where it is, with all the state em- employment training uh, programs that we have right now. Uh, so, you know, we're we, urging, have,
0: we have tens upon tens of thousands of positions that are not being filled because we can't find the people to fill them. And now they want to create a government program to put people to work. We have that. It's called private enterprise.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> My thought exactly. So, anyway, this, uh, this sailed through the Assembly, and um, we... we uh, last week, we were just urging caution. Just uh, be careful on creating new government programs, please. Okay, so it sailed through the
0: assembly. Where does it go from here?
1: Uh, it still has to be looked at in the Senate. So we're going to keep an eye on this. Another thing that we're going to be keeping an eye on and kept an eye on last week was uh, direct primary care legislation. This will be up for a vote uh, in executive session in the Senate this week. But last week, the assembly heard it. Uh, uh, Representative San Filippo, who wrote the bill. Testified in favor of it, and a number of doctors who are direct primary care doctors uh, spoke in favor of it as well. They talked about all the things we've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, but uh, the the numerous advantages of direct primary care, uh, which is where you kind of subscribe or join your doctor as a sort of a gym membership arrangement rather than dealing with an insurance company. Or a treadmill. (laughs) <laughs> Unless and then, you're like me, then you're going to have to deal with the treadmill anyway,
0: because I hope you have a heart monitor, <laughs> that bucket of chicken we talked about last week. Well, if you're going to a direct primary care doctor,
1: they might start finding all kinds of undiagnosed conditions from the, the chicken eating that you're doing. That's right. But uh, yeah, So, yeah, you pay the doctor directly, and in this case, the state pays the doctor. And In the case of this bill, uh, it would be a trial program in the Medicaid program in Badger Care. Uh, and the idea is uh, multiple ways of saving taxpayer money. You make prices transparent, give people an incentive to shop around because they're actually cutting checks. The state's going to help them out with that, but they're going to they're be asked to shop around. Um, and it also cuts down on ER visits. We know how expensive ER visits are, and for a lot of people on public assistance programs, they look at the, 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 the culture is just we're going straight to the ER instead of getting routine, routine care. Uh, at, a, at a primary care doctor. So the potential is there for some serious upside and we'll keep a close eye on that. Um, but anyway, it was a, definitely an interesting week and it's gonna be another interesting, interesting week in policy in, in Madison. Uh, we'll talk about what to expect coming up, but one thing to be certain, or one thing certain to be on everyone's radar is the package of 10 welfare reform bills Governor Walker rolled out recently and talked about at the state of the state. And that was the topic of the Maciver News Minute last week. Take a listen.
0: This is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. It's time to get back to work on welfare reform. That's what Governor Scott Walker said last week in calling for a special session of the legislature to deal with a far-reaching package of welfare reform bills. The bills, 10 in all, build on Walker's Wisconsin Works for Everyone welfare reform initiative announced last year. Much of that agenda made it into the state budget. Walkers proposing food share cards include photo identification of the recipient, a measure aimed at cutting fraud. The new initiative also expands the work requirement for food share recipients. And then there's this provision. Anyone who owns a home worth more than $321,000 would not be eligible for taxpayer-funded meals and other welfare programs. That just sounds like common sense. With unemployment at historic lows, a growing economy, and Foxconn in the offing, is there really any reason for able-bodied people to not be working? For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. Well, as you can see, uh, the ambitious agenda continues. And this is, I think, a key element, uh, welfare reform, uh, a broader look at welfare reform in this state. And uh, we'll see if the legislature gets down to business. The governor wants a special session to get this stuff accomplished. We'll see if that happens.
1: Very, very uh, ambitious agenda, very good package of 10 bills. They're going to look at them on Wednesday, uh, and we'll keep you up to date on what happens.
0: More ambitious than I thought it was going to be, quite frankly, from an election year abridged session. Sure. Right? I mean, we're only in the first month of the year, and we're already
1: talking about substantial welfare reform. Uh, I think we referred to it earlier in the podcast as propping up Obamacare. Uh, I would actually revise that and say cleaning up the mess left by Obamacare rather than propping it up. But um, uh, absolutely uh, keep an eye on on our website for coverage of what goes on 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 Wednesday at the public hearing. It's going to be a joint public hearing between the Assembly and the Senate. It looks like they're going to get the the pedal to the metal on this. So uh, as I mentioned, welfare reform is just one part, uh, albeit a big and important part of the action at the Capitol this week. Uh, Ola, what are you looking forward to coming up at the Capitol this week?
2: Yeah, so just wrapping up on that welfare reform, this will be a package of 10 bills that a joint committee, uh, as you said, between the Senate and the Assembly, public benefits reform, uh, these special session bills that they'll be hearing starting at noon that day. So that will certainly be a long long day if i can uh, peer into my crystal ball here i'm, I'm betting you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so of course as, as we've talked about a little bit before but to get more specific these bills mostly deal with regulations around food share one of them uh, increasing the hours of uh, uh employment training participation in order to stay on food share another expanding employment requirements to able-bodied adults Uh, Another would restrict individuals from participating in certain benefits programs if they have too much in assets, also known as If you got a house worth more than three hundred thousand dollars, we're not gonna let you go on welfare. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) a novel
1: idea. Probably don't
2: need it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, One of them's kind of interesting, nerdier, but you know, I'm a a nerd, so pretty interesting. Spreading out the payments for earned income tax credits so that the individuals who receive those checks won't just get one fat check in the mail, but rather multiple spread throughout the year. So that's kind of nice. That could
1: help them pay bills as the year goes along.
2: Sure. Yeah. Another, uh, you know, certain issues that we, this legislature has kind of tinkered with before, but because the Obama administration would uh, turn down their waivers at the federal level, they got to go back again. So one of these would put photo IDs on food share cards. Uh, Another would create savings accounts for the MA program. So a lot of stuff here kind of ranging all over. And this is what the governor asked the legislature to come in and do a special session for, so we will uh, we'll see the beginning of that this week.
1: Right, and I'm, uh, I see an overlap, and I don't know if this is intentional between the medical assistance program savings account mm-hmm. and direct primary care yes. legislation. oh, so absolutely. I thought that You've was interesting. Yeah, and then um, we're looking at a Friday blue ribbon commission. Those lovely blue ribbon commissions that governments do all the time. That's uh, right. So they're going to actually tackle the school funding for me.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's something that we've been I've been talking about for a little bit here. That will be chaired by Senate uh, Education Committee Chair uh, Luther Olson, and on the Assembly side, it will be Representative Joel Kitchens. So that'll be the first a big hearing over in Milwaukee on on Friday morning so we'll be at that I believe they've got Milwaukee Public Schools testifying they've got School Choice Wisconsin testifying and one or two other groups so looking forward to to that and and kind of getting that first peek into what they're looking at what they're prioritizing Etc. So yes, that
1: that'll be that'll be a long, a interesting week. day. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I neither envy Luther Olson, Joel Kitchens, or you because the school <laughs> funding formula is notoriously like a morass. So, sure. So good luck. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> Thank as you. he pushes you out the door. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, amid the uh, climbing over radioactive ruins, you're cl- doing the tax cut. Fallout, you get to deal with that too. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, food share fraud prevention and you uh, unemployment insurance fraud prevention is also up for a hearing this week. Um, I think right up against the direct primary care hearing, so that should be a very interesting hearing uh, that's coming up later this week too. Uh, two very important bills. Ola mentioned mentioned touched on that a little bit. So, keep an eye on the MacGyver Institute website this week for. Ongoing
0: coverage. Yes, yeah, so we uh, we're like um, the uh, Lionel Richie back in the mid 1980s. We can't slow down. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> you
1: <know? laughs> you got to update your cultural <laughs> references, man. You were playing, uh, you were playing Cheers earlier, now all I've got the. Night. No, all uh, night. yeah. All I've got the Cheers theme song night. stuck in my head too, thanks to you. All
0: night.
1: Alright, we're clearly uh, we're clearly up against the clock. The something. Wheels, we yeah. gotta find a way out of this, Ola. So. <laughs> I think that puts the Ribbon on another MacGyver Report podcast. Uh, I hope it does at least after the dance routine we just endured. Don't forget, subscribe to-
0: don't forget to tip your waitress.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in in SoundCloud and never miss our reports about Wisconsin this week. Take us out.
0: If you do, well, shame on you. Until we talk again, this is Team MacGyver saying make it a great week. We'll be watching the Capitol for you, and we'll report back here. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. See you next week. Bye-bye.